Board Game Gambit Podcast, Season 2, Episode 8. On your marks, get set, go! Today we're going to be talking about racing games. Now, not just racing games where you go around a track and you're trying to be the first one at the end. Also, the actual mechanic where you're trying to obtain a goal. Our in-depth review is going to be Res Arcana, fittingly. And joining you as always is me, Nathan. And I'm Jackie. Welcome, everyone. We're coming to you in front of a live audience. No, <laughs> in front of the live each other. Uh, it had been a while, um, and it's it's nice to to try and do this face to face rather than face to face via internet for once. Yeah, especially since I had uh, a few technical difficulties uh, when we last tried to record. <laughs> We could call them that. Yeah, it's uh, Nathan decided to disappear on me mid midway through the early recording of this episode. So we decided that uh, since we had a chance of getting together in person, that was a, a great idea. And so we are here today. Um, so beside what, well, we have played something together too, but do you have anything else that you've played recently that you want to talk about before we get into the things that we both tried? I was interested in hearing your take on Red Rising, since we just played that together yesterday. Well, yeah, so Red Rising, which is the last game by Stonemaier Games and is by uh, Jamie Stegmaier on design. So first of all, as I said before, some people were really drawn to it by the intellectual property. And Red Rising, to me, was a little bit of a disappointment as a book. But I must say that that didn't factor one way or another in the in the game meaning i don't think you need to know or enjoy the the setting to enjoy the game uh there are characters that score more if you have certain things that make sense if you have read the books but beside that it's a very accessible game so um Red Rising has this mechanism where you're trying to build a very strong hand uh, at the end of the game, and you do this by playing a card and removing a card from the table, basically com constantly exchanging a card from your hand with the table. And I was meh about it. <laughs> there are certain interesting things, for example, how where you play a card does not matter, but where you take the card from matters. And where you play the card will matter only if your card call, calls for it, so you can study what you have in hand and decide where to play and what to get. Um, there are a lot of additional things on this that uh, make for, I think, a less interesting game. For example, each location is a different scoring, and so once you are on a on a trajectory you want to keep going with that scoring. But what made it really uh, problematic for me is that instead of having four or five or six suits, it has 14 suits and almost all cards call for an interaction with a suit, whether it's their own or something else, something that needs to be on the table. And so there are cards that you will simply never be able to use it. At one point, I think Anna had a card that needed to be played on top of gold. And there was almost never gold available for her to place, much less in the location that she wanted. And so it felt for me, and I ended up with a crazy hand that scored 200 points or something, but it still felt a lot of, oh, I guess I will get this card because it works with mine. 
both the tactic and the strategy were not particularly compelling to me. How was your experience? Was it your first game of it? It was my first game that was more than two players. Mm-hmm. So um, playing it three players almost feels a little worse to me because in two players, you're not waiting that extra person to see how the board state changes. So, for example, Anna did something on her turn. The whole point of her turn was to put out gold from Banish, from the Banish area. So that way she would have gold to play on on her next turn. By the time it came around, we got rid of both of the golds that she had put out. It feels like there's a lot less that you can plan for. It feels more tactical than strategy. And I feel like in a two-player game, it's a lot more strategy. Because you're only contending with the other person. So at most, they can, you know, if they have a special card, they can play it and get a card and take a card. So at most, three things are getting added to the board. Whereas if both the other players do that in a three-player game, up to six things can be have can have changed off the board by the time it gets back around to you. So you can't really plan things. I know that um, a lot of the consensus online is that like certain cards are more powerful, that they're just like better cards. Like the gold ones is are what people say are like much better and they just do better things. Well, yeah, I had that, that impression without even knowing the details of the rules. When I drew the hand and I had a few gold and the points on the cards were higher, I'm like, oh, I won this. <laughs> and that was a joke, but it seems that there is a reliance on on having the right cards at the right moment, and there are a lot. There is a lot of randomness. When you read the rules, it feels like there is not much because it's while well, you play a card from your hand and you pick up a card on the table. But there are a lot of cards that try to do something with random uh, effects, and most importantly, at one point in the game, you start drawing or using things from the top of the deck. One thing that surprised me is that I am unclear on what the target audience for this game is, beside the uh, Stone Mayor games aficionado that are always ready for, for the next game, with, with some reasons, because they are usually very good games, because the theme is there, but is not is not a Battle of the Galactica, or even for a game that I don't like, particularly the Game of Thrones, the board game, which I have my issues with it, but there is no doubt that it's a very strong thematic experience or Twilight Imperium, things that are very thematic. This is could have been almost anything, right? Uh, so even people who like the theme, sure, you have a card that is called Telemachus rather than the boss, but it, 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 I don't see someone going, oh, if you love the books, you must play this game. I think that this randomness, this impossibility to plan, these cards that come from the same deck and they are completely different in power will deter people who like, I don't know, a crunchy Euro or something very stable, very balanced. But vice versa, it doesn't seem a very family-friendly game because no. each card has so many conditions, so many things that I couldn't imagine, for example, putting in front of my parents who play games but not particularly into it and go, okay, let's play this, right? It would take a lot of effort for not that much reward. So I'm very curious to see how this will do past the initial hype release and 
specifically what players this is designed for. I don't know. I actually really enjoy this game. Like, it's fun to me to try and get the the different combinations. So it's almost like it feels like a board game with like gambling in it. I feel like it is partially gambling because what it is is you're holding on to some cards, hoping that they'll pay off with these bonus points at the bottom in the theory that you're going to be able to meet their conditions. So it feels like you're hedging your bets. Like you're like, okay, well, I think that I can get more gold or I think that that I can get, you know, higher up on this track or what whatever it is. So I think it has this like little bit of gambling aspect to it, but not being like a casino style game. If you like that kind of feeling in a game, like mm-hmm. like a little bit of a gambling aspect, I feel like that's kind of what the target audience is. Uh, that's true. I can see that because there are a lot of flickering conditions that you have some control over, right? It, there is nothing like at the end of the game, roll a die, and if it's a six, you score. <laughs> right. So you have some control. But there is a lot of moving parts where you can only control a few of those. Like if there are no gold on the table or if you have the basically the first player token. It's not the first player token, the, the sovereign token that does things. Uh, I can see that. Well, we'll see how, how it goes. Uh, and I'm curious if you ever happen to play it with more players, uh, how that changes. Maybe there is a curve where you either <laughs> want to play it at two or at five or six. Yeah, maybe. Like that. One that I wanted to talk about is Oliver Twist, which is a game that we tried at uh, Gen Con 2017. And it was nice, but both at the time and when it then came out, at a high price for, for what it was, understandably so. Um, so Oliver Twist by Bruno Catala and Sebastien Pochon for Purple Grain Creation. It's a very nice uh, package. It comes in a, book, uh, in a box that looks like a book with Oliver Twist on the cover. It has a sturdy uh, cardboard token, a beautifully illustrated board, if somewhat generic, and personal screens that are tri- three-dimensional and you put things inside them. So I understand where the cost comes from, but compared to what the game is, that feels like a big investment. So I got it when it was on sale on uh, Miniature Market, and I see that is often on sale around, and I think that's because it was uh, targeted at, uh, at the wrong price point. But uh, the game itself is a very simple, but I think interesting game. There is a grid of tokens on the board and there are different paths that connect them. On your turn, you move one to four spaces and you grab whatever you land on. The trick being that whatever you skip gets into your police file because you are the basically different orphans stealing on Fajin's uh, behalf. And so you are trying to collect sets and time it right because sometimes you cannot take an action. So if you cannot take an action, you have to pay a penalty and move your move the common pawn to a place where you can take an action. So you're trying to collect sets that are stronger than the ones that the other are, are collecting, collecting characters that are special cards that you can play to you also to use a turn and not having to take a move. Or you can deliver sets and there is a two pushes if you make very big sets you get more money 
if you get valuable sets, you get more money. But also, if you are the first to get the set, uh, you get a bonus that is decreasing. So there is this pool of, do I want a good set or a bad set, but quick? And whatever I go for, do I want to make it large or make it fast? And so that's interesting. It plays over two rounds that are almost a repeat, but not exactly. They're, they add this, uh, an interesting mechanic in the second. Um, this is definitely a family level game. It has some, some not really straight up luck, but there is so much that can happen in what other people are doing that you can only plan to a point. And so it ends up with a feeling of being very chaotic and random, even if there are very few things beside the initial placement of the tokens that are random. I, we liked it. I think everyone at the table enjoyed it. The visual certainly helps. I wouldn't make it the center of a gaming night, but it was uh, it was pleasant. I think this is one of those games that the first time you play it, since you have to teach it and it has a few nuances, it ends up taking as much to teach it <laughs> as to play it. No, probably not. But this is one of those games where it would be very good to have People who already know it say, okay, before we play something else, let's play Oliver Twist and we can get it done in 40 minutes and then we move on to something else. I liked it. Again, Oliver Twist by Bruno Catala and Sebastian Pochon, Purple Brain Creations. So Bruno Catala, he's like my equivalent of ginger. I really like ginger flavoring. If something has ginger flavoring in it, I'm interested in trying it. But I'm not going to pick something just because it has ginger flavoring. Okay, so it's not one of those of those designers that you immediately need to, to try, basically. Right. I, I, <laughs> I see what you're saying, and I think that he has a lot of games that are among my, my favorite. I like that he's very good at collaborating. He has collaborated with a lot of people. Ludovic Moblanc uh, is the person probably has worked with the most, but most of his great successful uh, things are uh, came in in collaboration. This is this is also a collaboration, but he has he has a lot of hits for me. For me, he is um, he's very prolific, so I cannot check every game that he makes, but. When I do notice his name, it's usually in a game that I like. I mean, Shadows of... I'm reading just the notable games. Shadows of a Camelot. Loved it. It was the first traitor game we played. One of the first in general. And it was a great experience. Mr. Jack, I still play it. Jamaica, I played it this week. Still great family game. Cyclades. I am now a little over Cyclades, but I played it so much in my life. And... You Five tribes, Abyss, Seven Wonders, Steel, so many. You skipped over Mao. How embarrassing. How embarrassing. <laughs> How embarrassing to have it skip it. Uh, but that's the point. Each game of his has at least something that I like. There are a few that have not stayed with me. For example, Yamatai, I recently got rid of. And Ishtar, that he did in 2019, was not something that interested me. But Mission Red Planet is, is um, for me, is definitely top, top designer yeah he has a lot of good things but like i said for me it's i i'm interested i'm intrigued but it has to be my style of game because i feel like there are a few of his that are very not my style like which one is one that particularly disappointed you 
I mean, even small games, like the Game of the Thrones Sand of the King, I love that. Uh, the one that I didn't like was Imaginarium, but it wasn't a failure. It wasn't like a terrible experience. It was just, it had a few mechanisms that didn't work for me. And the more I go down the list of his games, the more I, I, I like everything I've played, I like uh, Madame Ching, uh, History, uh, there are so many. If I go by number of games of a designer that I like, I think it would be my my top. Really? Well, I can count at least 20 games in my collection, probably more. King Domino for me was overhyped. Well, I, I don't own it, right? It's not my style of game, but it's, it's a family-oriented game. And actually... It, I didn't hate playing it. It was it was fine. It plays in 15 minutes. You have these choices, that, that mechanism by which you choose what to do, but then that's the inverse priority in the next round. That, that's interesting to me. Um, Mr. Jack also is... Tread carefully here. <laughs> it's probably one of my least favorite games. Of his or in general? Both. Oh... <sighs> So, for me, Mr. Jack is... I don't know if the people that I've played against just are not great, or if I, in particular, am not great at it. Because the games are never a rewarding experience for me. They always... It's figured out within the first, like, two, three rounds, and then it's just move around the board, try and block them from leaving. Move around the board, try and block them from leaving. If you know who they are, why don't you just jump on them and and win. We will have to try it again. Maybe. I checked, <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I own 15 games by Catala and 15 games by Feld. So they are up there, and Feld is among my favorite designers. And I think there are a few that that I like that I don't own of uh, of Catala. For example, Cyclades is technically not here, so um, yeah. Oh, you own Raptor too? Yes. Yeah, I don't know. I'm. It's a toss-up for me. Whereas, but I mean, like, Five Tribes is one of my favorite games. It's fantastic. I love it. So, again, Ginger. <laughs> uh, let the record show that I do not like Ginger. But... Mm-hmm. So, I played... With Scott, uh, Fairy Tale Inn. Do you know it? I have seen it, but I haven't played it. So, Fairy Tale Inn is from Simon, and it is by Remo Kanzadori and Paolo Mori. It is Connect Four on steroids. The only reason that the connection is there to Connect Four is because you are playing tokens into a grid however you're not trying to get a connect four pattern you're not trying to get four in a row um, there's more characters than than you play with each game so it's a, a variety of tokens that you have in a bag and you pull them out and then there's ones that you can choose from you play one token each round dropping it into the connect four style frame i guess Mm-hmm. and each one of them has their own scoring condition, so you're trying to put them in a way that is 
most efficient for you to score points. I really liked it. It plays super quick, but it also gives some interesting choices. And if you're familiar with Connect 4, play this instead. That's mm-hmm. what the kind of thing that it's going for. Plus, I like the the artwork. is very nice. It's from uh, David Ticello. And it's just charming. It's like fairy tale, which how can you go wrong with fairy tale art? So, yeah, I think it's it's fun. I I would recommend it. Does it feel very abstract? So in my mind, when you say abstract, I go immediately to the GIF project. <laughs> That's like my like frame of reference for abstracts, and I don't think it does. Okay. Um, you're trying to put the the theme is that you're trying to put the people into different rooms in this inn. But so they have like effects and powers, or are they just suits of colors of tokens? They have some of them have powers. Okay. Some of Got them, um, some of the in rooms have little bonuses on them if you play into them. Okay, no, that 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 doesn't seem like a like just a positional abstract. Okay. Yeah. In general, I I was never too drawn to to connect for. I played it a lot when I was a kid, like everyone. Yeah. That I mean, it looks beautiful, but not something that I would look for uh, trying to 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 play anything else that you want to talk about ah uh, yeah the one that we played yesterday so yesterday when you arrived you were very excited because you had found a game that had been long out of stock uh, online which is revolution oh yeah yeah which is a game by steve jackson games that i played a lot back back when it came out uh, over a decade ago is by Philippe Dubarry who also did I think Coutier which I like and it's back when uh, uh, Steve Jackson games had grown a lot and was using the, the possibility to to try and explore new and different games something that they don't seem to be doing much right now and revolution is it comes down to a very very simple mechanism you have a grid of 12 characters that you can secretly bid for and there are different ways in which you bid and and they basically give you bidding power for the next round influence on a board and straight up points and so each round you're trying to balance these things taking position on the board that will score you points at the end of the game taking immediate points that you will score and getting gold blackmail and force which are the three currencies of the game they are differently related that's not particularly important right now but so there is a lot of trying to guess what other people uh, do and since there are 12 spaces no one can ever bid over six uh, on more than six usually you limit yourself to four or five there is a lot of trying to understand what's really important to you and trying to avoid tying with someone else, which means wasting everyone's resources. I really like the core mechanism of the game. I think there are, it slows down significantly towards the end. It was your first time playing it, yes. right? How, how was it? I really liked it. Even though you completely ran away with it, I feel like I was still doing stuff. At a certain point, yes, I felt like, okay, well, let's let's end this because it's it's carrying on a bit because uh, it was very clear after you locked in like your fifth location <laughs> that that uh, we were we were doomed. 
I, I did enjoy, however, in the beginning, I just went for straight up points. And I kept going points, 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 points. And then it looked nice on the board that, like, I was about to lap Anna. Uh, but then because I was doing that, I wasn't doing other things. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that it has... It can have, especially with three players compared with four, a little bit of a runaway problem. Because, as I said, one of the things that you gain are bidding power for the next round. At the same time, I think there are a lot of discrete moments in which if just one more coin had been placed on, on something, I'm not saying that the game would have changed drastically, but that would have changed that round, which means the balance of power changes for the next round, and then that, that changes a lot. Um, it's also a game where while explaining the rules and even the play is not particularly complex, there is a certain feeling about the strategy which is not easy to, to transmit but that I think you acquire during the game. And it's not a matter of going for something or something else, right? We are constantly switching our objectives. There is not a location that is more easy to obtain or a spot that you absolutely need to get but knowing when and how to pivot and how to get to balance getting into someone's plans or pursuing yours is is important is something that is acquired over over time and i played this north of 15 times so i really like it my copies in italy not because i don't like the game but the opposite is to have something that is accessible to play when when we go there and it has been something that we have considered multiple times to whether to bring it here or not at one point we almost bought a second uh, a second copy which as you were saying yesterday now it's it's very expensive because uh even in italy uh, in europe it's over 50 euros so uh, I'm, I'm not going to to buy that now to have a second copy the german edition is so much prettier uh it's also very busy, though. Um, yeah, so, I guess so. So, and I, I saw that there are people who did uh, re-theming, redesign, and things like that. And that's, that's interesting. That That's cool. Uh, someone did the Russian Revolution with uh, places from different parts of, I don't know, Leningrad, I guess, or, or Moscow, since like Leningrad, uh, yeah, St. Petersburg, I guess. And so, yeah, it also has two expansions that I cannot speak much about. So, but I have them now. Yeah. So, but they play five or six players mostly. So, we will have to try them. Yes. Okay. So these were a few of the many things that we played over the last two weeks. I had. Uh, I didn't play that much in terms of number of games, but I did play quite a variety. But uh, let's try and and move on. We will keep a Nidavellir for, for next next time. Are there... Uh, we, we talked about uh, last last time how the the Kickstarter project seems to be exploding. There are more and more. It, it never seems to slow down. I was expecting that at some point there would be a lull. Uh, but is there anything on Kickstarter elsewhere that you are uh, excited about? I'm always excited about games. That's good. <laughs> So, a game that I'm excited about is Dominations. It got on my radar because it 
won the American Tabletop Awards Best Game mm-hmm. of 2020. They tout themselves as the United States version of the Spiel des Jahres. Okay. So that's how it ended up in my... Interest. Interest, yeah. It's the it's 2020's winner in the complex game category. Okay. So it's... It's a Euro game. It's a the thing that draws me to it is that it's a civilization game because I actually really like civilization games. Mm-hmm. The thing that I don't particularly like about civilization games is the fighting. Oh, interesting. Okay. Because I don't like building up something to have someone else be like, "Oh, well, I built it up better than you, and now I destroyed everything that you worked for in that moment." Um, Dominations doesn't have. That kind of fighting. It's more of a area, vying for area control, vying for which I like much more. Mm-hmm. So that came back to Kickstarter. So I'm very excited for that. I'm going to just get the all in pledge because that's what I do. But yeah, it looks like a really interesting game. You, It's super quick. You play a tile. Like mm-hmm. that's what you do. And you get resources based on what you've played where you've played it and things like that. And, um, and then you also like have options to purchase things and they, then you have your own little like and engine going with different things that make things cheaper or when you do this, you get something more. So it's, it looks really good. I, I watched a playthrough of it and a rules teach and I, I must say, I'm really... It looks very much my style of game, so I'm very excited for it. I look forward to trying it. Um, One thing that had uh, deterred me from it was this weird choice of going with triangles, but it's very just aesthetical, so there is nothing about the game that is uh, problematic, and everything else in the game looks very, very nice, too. Um, The one thing that I'm debating and uh, well I'm still very much in wait for for Ankh but my father's work mm-hmm. which is on, on Kickstarter I think still open I backed it at one dollar to delay the decision is this big it sounds a cross between a euro game and it's a euro game with a lot of story mm-hmm. uh, which is an interesting but dangerous terrain to walk I think because the risk is for the story to get in the way of the the soundness of a euro game so we'll see how how it is uh, the big thing that is pushing me towards backing it is that it will not be distributed and so it, oh really yeah it's not a matter of do i want the deluxe version or not it's a matter of do i want the game at all or not and that's where fomo as they say sets in i think it's it's reasonable though because it's a thing that if you cannot have otherwise it's like with other things i chose to to delay the decision we were talking about john's company right it will be on their website you will pay a little bit more i can decide later this is supposedly not going to be sold at all uh, and so i am paying attention to it i would be careful about counting on john company in their website though because Pax Premier went through several printings where they like were completely out. 
Sure, but at some point they they keep reprinting it, yeah. right? So is and also I I still have time to to try and and, and get on your pledge. Um, <laughs> okay, so with all of that, why don't we move to Reza Kana? And since you have played this way more than me, why don't you take us through how the game looks like and what what the main feeling of it? Sure. So Res Arcana is from designer Thomas Lehman artist Julian uh, Delval, and it's published by Sandcastle Games. It is a game where you are a mage, and it is variable player powers, and you are trying to build things from a deck that you have, and also obtain places of power or build the monuments. They all cost a different amount of resources, you have a hand of cards at the beginning and you can either play them from your hand spending the resources or you can discard them for resources there are also magical items that you take and you have them for that round and then when you uh we you take turns around the table until you can't take any more actions and then you pass and when you pass the first person to pass gets out uh, first player token which is worth one victory point and you also trade in your magical item so you're not uh, staying with the same magical item round to round and it is a racing game which is why we thought it would be fitting to talk about today so the whole goal of the game is to try and get to 10 points some of the cards that uh, you have in your deck are worth points the places of power have ways to, if they're not points by themselves, they all have ways to make points by typically by putting resources on them. There are some that are conditional, like for every dragon you have or for every beast you have, you get points. But for the most part, they're, they're put resources on it and those resources are worth points. There's a lot of different like little mechanisms which are are very different. I don't think I've played games like this before where you have resource generation from cards and you can put resources on the cards and sometimes the there are like action uh, bonuses that if you have things on the card you also get these other things. And then you also can store them on this card and then take them later. So it's there's a lot of stuff going on, but it, it is a race essentially to 10 points. Um, the monuments are worth between one and three points. Like I said, the places of power are conditional, but they're they're expensive. To set up, you, you get two mages and you're going to pick one at the end of your draft. You That's draft, an overall power, right? Yes, the yeah. mages have different things some of them have income some of them just have different powers that that you can use that some are ones that you where you have to tap the card to use it or some are just passive abilities you have the two mages and then you're drafting your deck of 10 cards I'm eight eight, say. Yeah. eight so it's a eight eight card deck and you at the end of the draft you will pick one of the mages that preferably goes better with what you've drafted. 
so yeah that's pretty much the game you are racing for points you are when someone reaches 10 the game is over um at the end of the round when everyone has passed and just because you were the first over 10 doesn't mean that you win because other people can go beyond that and uh still pass you yeah and i think that the feeling that i get from it with the notable and important exception that you're not trying to attack or eliminate someone else but in the interaction of the cards it feels a little bit like a micro version of a collectible card game because you have all of these cards that the effect of each is minimal but they grow um it's not really i wouldn't call it an engine building because for example the way you get resources is often very straightforward it is cards that give you resource every turn and there is an accumulation that feels less ordered because there is not that much time right you cannot build a big seven turns plan you yeah. need to get to it and you were saying and i completely agree that there are so many different mechanism that we have seen elsewhere but not necessarily together in this way but if you were to say I, I'm struggling to think I like the game but I would be hard pressed to say what the main hook of it is because each of them in their individuality for example I like drafting a lot but I wouldn't say that this is a particularly interesting draft compared to other things in the game. Sure. So what do you think makes Rasakana so unique? And people are liking it a lot. We both liked it and things like that. I think it's the fact that the cards... The card economy is very tight. I think that the economy of resources is is very tight in general. And I think that that sort of propels the game into a very interesting area because you have such limited resources. I mean, I've seen games where people figure out a very interesting combo. I think that would be the the secondary thing is that the combos Mm -hmm. are... I've played... (laughs) I don't even want to say how many games, but I've played this quite a bit um, online um, and in person with people. So I think it's always really interesting when someone plays a combination of things that I haven't seen before. And it's, there are, there are, they, they are there, I'm sure. Like, because you are drafting just these, you know, few cards. And so it's not that you're playing with a huge deck or a huge you know, you're not building a deck. You're not getting new cards. It's, these are the cards that you have for the whole the whole time. Do what you can with them. Hope it turns out. So <laughs> you are definitely uh, restricted by the the card economy with the the goods or the essences, I guess, mm-hmm. or what they call sources. Yeah. Um. So theme and components. Components are, I think, of very high quality. The the pieces of wood for the essences, the art on the cards might not be my style in particular, but it's of very high quality. I think the theme is, I have heard people really like the theme. To me, it's it's okay. It's another, oh, there is magic. And the fact that he tries to give more of an alchemist flavor doesn't really mean much because then you have owls and dragons and all of that. 
and the places of power. I mean, even the name places of power is as generic as it gets, which I think is done on purpose. It doesn't claim to be a particularly thematic game, right? Yeah. It's all about, as you were saying, the engine and the card, but, um, but it's, it does its job. It's clear on like this thing works with dragons. So you want dragons to activate. There are a few things that are both thematically and mechanically strange. For example, dragons can all attack, but I always find that defending is so easy. There are so many ways to defend that dragons don't feel particularly dragony. Um, do you like the components? Do you like the? Yeah, I think that the the wood pieces are are quite charming. The different little shaped wood pieces, and it's funny how much it elevates it from cubes. Oh yeah. Like if it were just cubes, I'd be like, Ugh. like it's boring. Shape wood is is very nice. Simple to make, but very nice. Yeah. Different colored shaped wood. It just. It brings it to a, a different place for me. I don't know. I just, I like it. So I really like that. I like the container that's standard in there that holds the the essences. I think that that's really it's smart like, and nice. It's like a mini geek, geek, what is it called? Geek, game trays? Game tray, yeah. yeah. Um, so pace and arc, which I think are crucial. Well, I am obsessed with, with these two concepts in general in games, but I think they're particularly crucial to this. You already talked about the arc. You have these few turns in which you're racing to 10 points and you're trying to get that, that first, but since passing gives you a point, you have to be very careful not to trigger the end and then have someone else pass you. How do you feel about the pace of the turns? So I've played games where it can be really kind of frustrating where if your engine isn't working or you need, you know, maybe another turn to get your engine really off the ground and you see someone else who made a simpler engine and it just works, it can get a little frustrating because you pass and then you're just kind of sitting there and they're like, okay, well now I have this card and now I tap this card and now I have this card and then I put something on this and then I turn this and then I do that. So it's like, that can be a little frustrating if it's unbalanced. If it's pretty balanced, like if everybody's on the same level, I guess, with where they've made their engine, I feel like the pace is pretty quick. Because the turns are super simple. It's play a card, or tap a card for an action, or discard a card, or buy a place of power, or buy a, a monument. Like, that's that's literally it. So the turns are super quick. They go... You know, boom, 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 boom. But it's in that not everyone has the same number of turns, which I like, but I also get a little frustrated by if it's not balanced, balanced or or at least like everyone's near the same level. I think that pace and arc for this game are what makes the game. The game is built around the race and it's again built around simple turns. I think that for me, that's also what prevents it from being a game that I love. I like it, and I, especially because it's so quick and uh, enticing compared to the complexity, right? You get a lot out of it for a 30, 40 minute game. Yeah. At the same time, I often feel win or lose that I am left a little 
un- unsatisfied uh, because <laughs> it looks like there is more to build than there is, but because of only having eight cards and of the game often being done in like four turns, four rounds, sorry. It's not a game where you can build a big machine and things like that. You need to find small machines that work quickly. And that's probably not to my to my most liking, but that's definitely not the flaw of the game. It's a game that is built like this. It would be like someone playing chess and then saying, well, I think it's a little too abstract. Well, that, that's the game, right? Um, so, uh, but I like, I particularly like the idea of you're trying to bump to 10, right? So, oh, I can do all of this to get to nine, then it doesn't matter, I can wait the next round and I might be more positioned to push to 10 or 11. That that one I like a lot. Strategy and replayability. So I'll take replayability and I think that's incredibly high. And that's what shocked me when I read the rules. So I got it for my birthday, you guys got it for my birthday last year. Mm -hmm. And um, I read the rules, it was like, there are 40 cards, so okay, we play, we play four players, we use eight cards each, that's 32, so we play two games of it and then that's done. <laughs> also because the cards, when you look at them, they seem very minor, it's like, tap this, get this resource, or spend this, but the way they interact is incredibly expanded. And so even changing just a couple of cards out of your eight changes the experience completely. So. I think that if you like the game, even if you don't love it, I like it. I don't think it's among my favorite games. So it's not that, oh, um, I, I would play it anytime because I love it so much. But still, it's very, very replayable. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have played it more, a lot more than me. And you were saying before that you have seen a lot of building engines and things like that. So do you think that there is a significant strategy or are you reacting to what happens? What, what do you think? I think there is some strategy, but I also think that it is very important to sort of base your game around at least one or two of the places of power, because, and that's important from the moment when you start drafting. You have to draft to see what the places of power powers are, or I'm sorry, you have to you have to draft once you see the where the plate what the places of power are to try and get one one or two of those because they're one of the main sources of generating points. Um, and not only do they generate points, but some of them actually give you resources. Some of them, you know, are very powerful <laughs> towards, towards ending the game. So I think that that is a big component of the strategy. But, I mean, I've seen people... I don't think I've ever seen anyone win without any places of power, mm-hmm. but I have seen people with just like one. And I mean, and that's a legitimate element, right? That they are one of the goals, and you have to deal with it. And also, we were like you were saying before, often getting the place of power is not the end all of your strategy. You need to also make it work. Uh, one works with creatures, one works with dragons, one works with black energy, one works with something yep. else, and so the. The artist is Julien Delval, I think is functional artist, is in a lot of important games, none of which is famous for, for its art. Uh, Castle of Burgundy, Dominion, uh, Ticket to Ride, Memoir 44. So he's, 
he seems to have made the choice of not putting his his art in way uh, in the way of the game right um, the, it's and I think that carries into this. I like this more of the other titles that I mentioned, especially the art on the mages cards. Yes, but I think they are still meant to be something that you notice rather than something that you focus on. Um, which I'm sure it's a design choice because if you look at it, this yeah is a incredibly talented designer. Uh, sorry, artist. But yeah, uh, I still wouldn't say that Rasa Arcana is a game that needs to be seen from an artistical perspective, uh, as it is true of games, for example, that I don't particularly like, like uh, Everdale. I don't like it, but it's visually stunning. Um, this is probably not, but I think it's there. Tom Lemon is a very interesting designer because he's a very successful, very popular designer that basically is summarized by Race for a Galaxy and Adjacent until this, because he did Race for the Galaxy, did Roll for the Galaxy, did New Frontier, which is basically Race for the Galaxy, the the card game, the, the board game. And those he did uh, Favor of the Pharaoh and To Court the King, which are two versions basically of the same game with dice, where you are still building a little machine. He definitely likes engine building. And I think that to me, Rest Arcana is a, a, absolutely is, is fa uh, my favorite game of his. The other one that I don't mind being uh, Roll for the Galaxy. And I think that in both cases is when he went away from just the engine building and added something else. In this case, the race in uh, Roll for the Galaxy, the dice. Um, Still, I'm thinking of what you were saying about Kafala before. I'm still where uh, actually his name on the box makes me more careful than not. <laughs> it's like, oh, will it be boring? Uh, and I know that I have friends who have played literally thousands of games of Race for the Galaxy online, but thousands and thousands of games. So I know that it's blasphemy to, to a few people. But to me, his other games often feel a little bloated. Too many cards, too many icons, too many effects. Um, that's why, for example, even if both Race for the Galaxy and San Juan are inspired by the mechanism in Puerto Rico, Race for the Galaxy was at first developed as uh, Puerto Rico, the card game, and then that didn't happen. That became Race for the Galaxy and San Juan was chosen as the card game version of Puerto Rico. And I prefer that. I prefer that simplicity. And I think a, a touch of that over, over complexity, as I was saying, the, the, the attacks and the defenses seems to be there just to be there. They, I'm sure that there are ways to make it work. I played the game three times. I don't claim to, to know the ins <laughs> and outs of the game. But it feels there are a few rules that are there to be, to be there, right? There are some cards that are different and interesting because they are very worthy that they work with investments and things like that but that sometimes feel a little out of place and i think a little bit more of streamlining would would help but um i like this this one quite a bit so i've played tens of tens not thousands of thousands tens of tens of games so hundreds <laughs> tens of tens okay games, yeah. we'll leave it at that um Race for the Galaxy online. And the funny thing is, I play it online, but um, so I 
I still have to hover over the cards to see what they do. Because there's so many cards and there's so many expansions that you can play with on online. And then there's such a complex iconography. Mm -hmm. I don't I, I don't really get it 100% of the time. <laughs> so I think that that is where Res Arcana shines, though, is that the iconography is very clear. There's there's quite a few things, but once you know it, it's very clear. This is what this means. And I think that that's a solid point of the game. Okay. Um, so I'll leave you with, with the conclusion of this. I'll just add that I like it. I think it's easy to teach, hard to master. It's a game where you need to pay attention to what other people are doing. So yes. it's uh, even if it some of the things feel like uh, a very self-contained thing, but you need to keep an eye on what other people are doing. And that's where the interaction comes in. Even if, again, attacks don't particularly happen, you cannot steal resources. There is not a pool of resources that is shared or anything like that. But there is a good level of interaction. It's quick, it's fast, it's easy to teach. I It won't be in my, uh, my favorite games of anything. Uh, but it's at the same time a game that I would probably never turn down a game of because it's for how accessible it is, the, the investment reward balance is extremely high. It's easy to teach, easy to play. It doesn't... It doesn't break your mind or make it difficult to read the rules or complexity is nice to play and even when you don't perform well in the game you feel like you have done something so it's never incredibly frustrating like other games can be and for me that's that's a plus i leave to you the your conclusion on on Rasakana. so because it is a race game i do think that it shines best at two because it's much more straightforward as far as like keeping track of points and keeping track of things like that. And I think I prefer it at two. I've played it, like I said, online uh, quite a bit. And I think at two is where it shines because then you own it. It helps with the draft because then you know what the other person has because it's just, that's what they have in their deck. Um, it helps with, the places of power because it's a, a tug of war kind of thing where where um am i going to get this place of power or are they going to get this place of power it's not will I, you know by it, the time it comes back around to me will i ha have lost my opportunities um i think it it is a complex game disguised as <laughs> <laughs> as a uh like a lighter game so i i think that this game has a a lot of really good strategy i think that you said it well when you said that it's very accessible it is super easy to teach and i really enjoy it uh i still have i have the expansion i haven't put it in yet but i don't feel like i need it yet i i have played so many games of this and like I said it, it constantly surprises me when someone comes up with something new that like you said the the grand total of cards is not that many but the way that they interact can be so surprising 
and I really enjoy it. I would highly, highly recommend it. Um, it's definitely in my top like 20 games. So Okay, so that was our review of Rasakana, again by Tom Lemon uh, for Sandcastle Games. Thomas Lehman. Thomas Lehman. L-E-H-M-A-N-N. Don't ever, ever take my pronunciation of something English for granted. <laughs> okay, so with that, that's a perfect introduction to our topic for today, which is race games um, and our or racing games. And how we were saying in, uh, in our introduction, we conceived it not necessarily of a theme of a race. Actually, I have a couple that have a theme of a race, but I don't think they are racing games. <laughs> but instead, games were being first past a goal, whether it is a distance goal, a points goal, or however you can uh, conceive it, is the aim of the game. So, do you generally like that that kind of style? I think yes. I'm always intrigued by it, for sure. I want to look into it more. I want to see what's going on, what makes that unique. I think um, in Res Arcana that that is what makes the game really interesting because you are, you know, trying to to get to a certain point. And you're also trying to build the engine, but you need to do the engine fast, and and so it's it it's a push and pull kind of thing, and I I really like the the racing element of that. So I think in general I like it, but it's I'm also a little wary of it because I I know how games like that can sometimes be like runaways. Mm-hmm. I think that um, I have been attracted to. To them a lot but over the years especially games who are straightforward racing where the point is covering a distance before others there has always been something that moved me away from it i was thinking when i was making the list and none of these made my my top three but formula d is the classic racing game and uh, we had it we enjoyed it but we gave it away because that felt to make it accessible they made it very random um, Snow Tales was another game where you are basically leading a, a, a sled with, with dogs. Okay. And it's very interesting because it has a mechanism where you're, you want a certain number of dogs on each side and they get tired. But the point was that then you had to repeat that a lot to be on this path. And it didn't help that when I played with the people who introduced it to me, they were super into this game and so decided to ignore the rules and make a giant and very complicated uh, race. But um, even games like Flamme Rouge, who are more recent and renew the the genre, there is always something that is like, oh yeah, this game is interesting, but in the end you're just doing the same multiple times, right? Because you are covering ground and so to give sense of progression. But I think I thought I liked this this mechanism of getting to something first more than I did because when I went through games and looked for games that I really like, I had a hard time. But those that I like, I do like quite a bit. I also had uh, when I was looking at the list, there were a few things that I wanted to to exclude from my calculation. One is that sometimes the the line between the mechanism and the theme is lost. For example, her and the tortoise from 
the, the, the line of Tales games. Um, from Yellow. From Yellow, which I like the game a lot and is definitely a race among the animals. But you're not actually trying to get there first. You could be first and I could be, the animals that I'm betting on could be second and third, or I could double up on, on the second. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, for example, a case where the theme looks like it's a racing game, but you're actually managing your bets. And sure, you would like your animal to get there first, but is the feeling of it to me is not, a, I'm not getting there, there first. Would you consider that a racing game? No, because it's not. I don't think so. Because it's it's you you're the whole point of the game is the bet. Yeah, like it doesn't matter really who gets there first per se. But it's true that if you are if your animal, the animal you're betting on, gets there first, so it, 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 that's why I brought it up because it was. I don't consider it a racing game, but I have a hard time defining why. So in the game, for those who haven't uh, played it, you are basically there are animals that move based on what players play from their hand, but you must sometimes move animals that you don't want to move a little bit for disguising your real objective, but also because you have certain cards in hand and you want to play a lot of them to cycle through them. So I have a hard time saying why that doesn't qualify for me, but it does not. Well, because the other thing is it's a common piece, right? Mm-hmm. Like other mm-hmm. people can move it. Fair and, enough. And it's not... So if someone else moves the person over the finish line, you still reap those benefits. It's not that you are trying to get your piece or your... It's a common race, which I think makes it not really a race. In a way, it all, as a mechanism, it almost feels like a market game where you're trying to make the thing that you have worth more. Right. Which is interesting. And other two that I excluded are, when looking at the list and this stand in for a bunch of different things, Dixit uh, and Game of Thrones, the card game. They both want you to get to a certain point. Dixit, if you play it by the rules, finishes when someone gets to 30 points. But the point there is that in both of those games, the more points you can get, the more you want. There is not a timing element. Is It's not that in the city you time, okay, this turn I don't do this, so that next turn I can do more. Can yeah. I get, is how many points can I get? I will get the most. And it's just an arbitrary end. Um, there are some that straddle the line. Uh, viticulture, you want to get to 25, it triggers 25. And I haven't played it enough or recently enough to to decide where where that falls. Um, but yeah, that that was my my perspective on what I included and what not. Mm-hmm. My number three is going well. No, so my honorable mention. Oh, good. I, I have one too. I was hoping because this way I look. I it looks like I am uh, actually respecting the rules. Go ahead. I have an honorable, honorable, honorable mention, mm-hmm. which I think is going to be on your list, mm-hmm. and that is the Oracle of Delphi, mm-hmm. and that is by Steffenfeld, and I really like it, and I felt like I needed to mention it because it's a Steffenfeld. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but joking aside, I I do like this game a lot. I actually sought it out because I can't, I couldn't find it anywhere. And 
I really like it. I like how different it feels from Steffenfeld's other games. And I really like the, like, objective. Mm -hmm. The different objectives that you're trying to to reach. So is there a particular reason that uh, took it out of your top three or is just that the others you like more? So is there something that holds you back? I feel like this game can be very runaway. Mm Mm-hmm. Especially towards the end of the game. Like, if you have one goal to finish, or one objective to finish, and I have three, it's like, okay, well, go do your one thing. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Once you have accumulated an advantage. Yeah. yeah. For me, my honorable mention is Toast and Glimmer's Odin's Raven. In particular, I have the second edition that is, it is very similar. It is... Uh, really the quintessential, the streamlined racing game. You are two competing ravens, you are going over the same path in different directions, and you are playing cards to try and move over it. Um, The simplicity of it is what makes it so accessible, so nice, it plays in like 50 minutes. At the same time, that's what I think prevents it from being a very memorable game. It's a cute game, it has the distinction of often starting our Viking day, whenever we have Viking day, which we try to have at least once a year, uh, before other people get here and and I play a game of that, just to do it through it. Um, It's charming. It can feel sometimes that you have very little choice if things are going poorly, you have the cards. I'm very bad at it, but I I like it. So what is uh, your action number three? My number three is automobiles. Mm-hmm. from David Short and uh, published by AEG. So in automobiles, it is a cute, like a bag building game. Mm-hmm. And you're getting little upgrades to the automobile to pull cubes from the bag and race to the end. The end what makes it my number three and not higher is the way that the very end of the game resolves, mm-hmm. which is it's not who passes the finish line first. It's who gets the farthest beyond the finish line. Which is strange for a card racing game. Yeah, I can see that. But I also understand it because otherwise it would just be beneficial to be to the be first, first player. Yeah. So um, I do get that. So maybe like the the like thought behind that is like if you went farther then maybe you were going faster yeah you cross the line around the same time you were faster it's just that the game must simulate it somehow yeah my number three is istanbul uh, by rudiger dorn for pegasus peel and Istanbul, well, first of all, there is a funny story so istanbul the way it works is a euro uh, that has uh reach a certain amount of points basically you're trying to get gems and they are if you consider them a point each that's that's what you're trying to get there is a different number depending on number of players uh the mechanism of the game is that you have a stack of discs and when you go to a place you need to either leave or get back a disc and if you cannot do that you cannot take the action so you have some planning to do um i like the fact that it's quick uh that is accessible I think 
people tend to think that it's a little deeper than it is. I like the game a lot. I don't think that's that deep. Um, the timing is very important because there are cards in the game that help you take two actions at the same time and timing is all about it because doing the objectives is not particularly complicated, is doing them before other people. Usually the objective themselves are not competitive, so if I can do something, you can also do it, which also makes it more accessible, etc. Fun story, when we first taught Istanbul, it had just come out. Um, come out. A friend of ours was working for, for Pegasus on other games, other demos, and they gave him a few copies of Istanbul. And we had won a couple of copies of Cold Baron, so we traded, and he taught us the game, and he taught us wrong. Uh, he told us that you would only take the, the action where you were collecting the disc. So it made this game that had the same mechanism, so still very simple, not particularly deep, but incredibly busy with useless complexity of, okay, so I want to take this reaction, which means I spend three turns placing the disc where I want them and then collecting them in the opposite order. So we played it once and it felt very boring. We never played it again. A few years later, a friend of ours at uh, Tabletop Revolution, which is a group here in, uh, uh, in Providence, insisted, oh, please play, play. It's one of my favorite games. We played it and we're like, this is not the game that we know. Wait a second. And I actually, and I like it for what it is. I have never played it and I would like to. We can certainly arrange that. My number two is, no surprise, Res Arcana. Mm -hmm. I would not have played as many games of it <laughs> if I hadn't liked it. So uh, we talked about it enough. Uh, so I'm just going to say, check it out. If you haven't checked it out, um, Board Game Arena has a really nice version where you can play online so you don't even need to own the game you can just hop onto a game on there and check it out and as i said i like it we have talked about it a lot my number two is indeed the oracle of delphi you gave a good description of what it is i think what makes me like it is that it feels very stefan feldy but is very different from the others I actually the things that I don't love they're not connected to the peculiarity of that game they are more connected to the fact that being reliant on dice a lot from time to time you have a lot of mitigation but from time to time something can happen it makes you go why am I even playing this but in general I like it it's beautiful components uh, again the shaped wood and things like that yep. It feels, it has a feeling of exploration, even if exploration is just a small part of the game when you flip the, the tiles. Uh, you have different things that you can do, but they are very regulated. I really like it. Number one, what is it for you? I wonder if it's the same. No, I guarantee okay. it's not the same. Okay, what is it? I know what your number one is. Oh, good. My number one is Rajas of the Ganges. Ah, okay, sure. I think it's... The mechanism of the two income or the two like different point tracks is so different to me. Oh, like it's, it's brilliant. It's Absolutely. so cool and so like I I'm just like in awe of it. And I've played it only twice, but I really think that the 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 race of trying to get your two markers to meet going clockwise and counterclockwise around the scoring track is such an inventive thing. Like, I 
I don't know. I can't. I've never played a game like it before, and I've never played a game like it since. So it's it's just very. I love the art. I love the the gameplay. I love the the different uh, worker placement actions. It's just a really fun game, and I look forward to playing it again. For me, uh, Riches of the Ganges went from uh, an eight and a half the first time I played it to a six the second, and I never played it again. The I find that extremely interesting. I find uh, the mechanism way less interesting, the way the, the placement works. But mostly, I felt that I was doing exactly the same things in every game I played. And that was... A I was sorely, sorely disappointed. Also because it is by Inca Marcus Brand, I love who that. designed Village, which is one of my absolute favorite Euros. And I had immense expectations for it. And I played it the first time and I really, really like it. Although there were some things that were more boring than others. For example, the spatial thing is not particularly complex even for my limited spatial capabilities, but it's not particularly interesting either. But then the racing down the river, the trying to get the markets, uh, the way you use the dice, it felt very, very, very samey. And I haven't talked about this to many people, so I cannot claim anything. But the fact that it was everywhere for a little while and then it went slowly disappearing, I think that's not just my, my feeling. And I will be curious to see when you will have played it like five times or so, which I didn't get to whether that you still like it or or not i will so i i also have both of the goodie boxes or whatever they're kind of expansions they're or... like mini modules that you can add mm -hmm. and so i think that that is a way that they tried to say oh well it can be a little samey so why don't we add just a little thing to it and i think that that's cool like they sure they... that might fix it yeah my number one, which is a game that doesn't need fixing. Can I guess? Yes. Scythe? No, that's that's not a race game. You don't win if you place the six stars. No, but that's what I was trying to say before. Was is it an end game, end game condition or is it a Oh god is it no, a is it a mechanism or is it an end game condition? There's a gray area. I like Scythe a lot, but also, even if I considered it a race game, I don't think Sight is a good racing game, right? Even if, if it fell in the category, there are other things that Sight does better. My favorite race game, the one that if I want to get the idea of a race I go to is Jamaica. Uh, Jamaica, we played it again this week, is probably among the simplest games that I like. Uh, it's fast, it's fun, it's quick, it's uh, chaotic, in the right degree. Uh, you are pirates racing around Potroyal, maybe something like that. Mm -hmm. And you, a lot of the points that you do in the game, uh, that you score in the game, come from your position at the end of the race. So it is true that you could win the race and not win the game. It's not an uncommon uh, thing, but it's basically impossible to do very, very poorly in the race and win the game. So the race is definitely very important. You are accumulating gold, accumulating food, accumulating cannons. The game is very simple. Uh, the captain, who is the first player for the round, rolls two dice. 
to regular, not custom, these sixes, um, places them in order, first and second, day and night. That's all of the choice that they have. And then every player has a hand of three cards. They choose one. Each card has two actions and they match those two dice. And a lot of that is moving, but also you are collecting food that you need to not fall back when you move and gold that are points, but you also need not to fall back when you move and cannons with which you attack the other players, which is a simple exchange of cannons and dice and you steal something from another player. I like it. It's The art is absolutely uh, fantastic for what the game is, is by Mathieu Leysen. The game, which is by my man, Bruno Catala, Sebastien Pochon, and Michael Braff, which I don't know uh, as much. Oh, is is uh, probably involved in Mr. Jack? No, he's not. He's on the cover of Mr. Jack. There is a character that is inspired by him, but but no. Is uh, Jamaica is his big uh, magnus opus and Catala and Pochon. I really enjoy it. I have never taught it to someone who has actively disliked it. It's also true that I don't teach it to people who really like only having euros. And when I think of a race, I think of Jamaica. Actually, I think that I like the race in Jamaica more than I like Jamaica the game. It's exciting. There is this idea of do I go for the... You also have... Um, you can take a, what is called a shortcut or not. And that means something directly on the race. I really like Jamaica. So... I also like Jamaica. Yay. It's a good game. Is there any racing game that you haven't tried that you would like to try? Oh. I have one that I want to talk about. And that is, well, I saw that Luxor is marked as a racing game, but I suspect it's more of a theme than, than something else, but I would like to try it. Something that has been all the rage recently and I haven't tried yet is Downforce. Downforce is a re-implement of an older game, is by Restoration Games, not surprisingly. It has very cute little cars. Um, they say it's very simple. It has end management and betting. And I would really, really like to try that or one of the many fantastic reskins that people have done on the internet but even just uh, regular downforce my friend Kevin is a big fan so I hope to get to try it when uh, when things reopen and we start seeing people again Rocketman looked interesting that's a new one that just 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 came out oh yeah you talked about it I think before to me at least yeah from Martin Wallace oh yeah that that was the, the problem okay <laughs> Okay, so so today's trend in our episode was wooden pieces, <laughs> wooden gaming bits. That is, if designers are listening, put a wooden gaming bit in your next game. Yeah, because as even you... if you don't have anything in it, if it's a card game, put a wooden bit in it. Because as you know, Nathan is not easily swayed by things like miniatures, translucent component, the laxified foil boards. No. Um, no, no. All of those things are in the past for him. Now it's all about custom-shaped meeples. Yes. <laughs> and with this lie, I think that that's our clue here to have reached the end of the race. Of the episode. As always, thank you so much for listening Please, if you like our content, 
and would like to see more of it, please like, subscribe, share it with friends. If you have entered the giveaway, which is coming to a close, or has already closed, depending on when this is posted. <laughs> I think it will close on the day we post this, but don't, don't hold me to that. So try and go see it on Instagram. It will definitely be on Instagram. The results will be posted there. Uh, so congratulations to whoever won. Uh, but thank you all for, for entering and commenting and, and just being overall supportive. We really appreciate it. Closing out the episode. As always, it's me, Nathan. And I'm Jackie. Thank you, everyone, and goodbye. Bye-bye.